He is a good God. Thank you, Jesus. We have an absolutely wonderful church. I just want to say thank you to Brother Jeremy uh, for coming down here and shampooing the, the carpet uh, briefly um, a couple times this last week. Um, we, he, uh, he worked hard to uh, make the church look clean for this morning, and I'm thankful for that. And so we're, we're thankful for him and his family doing those things. And all of you, just I know there's many things that people do behind the scenes, and we are so thankful for that. In Jesus' name, we do have a, uh, a new computer, so if there's any mix-ups today or this morning, um, just uh, please bear with us. We're trying to make sure that everything is good to go on it. But uh, we, we needed to update. Our old computer couldn't update anymore. It was, uh, it was only nine years old, but uh, it was so old that we couldn't update anything on it anymore. So we had to get a new computer. It was just, uh, it's crazy to think that just nine years ago was outdated. Um, in today's world, so uh, it's it's amazing. But uh, but we have that back there, and so we're thankful for all that God is blessing this church with in Jesus' name, and all that He is doing in Jesus' name. If you want to turn with me to Joshua chapter 24, I'm going to kind of start here. I, I didn't have this planned for this morning, but I just felt it in prayer this morning, and and when I was reading my my Bible this morning, I just kind of felt that this was something that I, I needed to encourage somebody with here today. And you'll probably know this scripture, probably be very easy for you to, to figure it out. But Joshua chapter 24, and, and we'll eventually bring up verse 15 here. But before we look at that scripture, I want to give you a bit of a background inside of the Old Testament. If you don't know the nation of Israel or what God was doing uh, to the nation of Israel, the Israelites had been captive inside of Egypt for quite a while. And God delivered the, the Israelites from Egypt through uh, various plagues. And I'm sure that whether you were in church as a kid or not, you know that those, those plagues were there. The water turned to blood. There were frogs. There were locusts that came and ate the, the, the plants. There, there was all sorts of things. But the, the last uh, plague that, that kind of came through the land was that the firstborn child of every household died in the households that did not put the blood of the lamb over their, their doorpost. And so that, that, that firstborn child died, and, and Pharaoh was greatly upset over that, and he released the Israelites to, to leave the, the land of Egypt. And they had this leader who was named Moses, and Moses took them out into the promised land, or, or not, not the promised land yet, but he took them out into the wilderness where they began their journey towards the promised land. And while they were on this journey... God was speaking to them and doing things through them, but unfortunately the people turned away from God quite a few times to the point where God said, okay, you're going to wander around for 40 years out here until this generation dies off, and then the new generation that comes up, they will be able to inherit the promised land because they will be uh, sanctified unto me. They will be people who will hopefully not turn away from these things and, and that sort of stuff. And so this new generation comes into play, and Moses um, isn't allowed to enter into the promised land either. And so this new man named Joshua comes onto the scene, and he is the one who is going to take over and lead for Moses and lead the people across the river into the promised land. Joshua is an incredible character. If you get a chance to read this entire book, you should. He is a phenomenal person of God, somebody who is hungry after the heart of God or hungry after what God wants for the nation. And you have to remember, he's leading millions of people at this point in time. And Joshua has the sole responsibility of hearing from God and leading the people into these places. And so the great thing about this is God says you're going to go into this promised land but you're not going to have to worry about much because there's people there that have already built houses. There's people there that have already planted vineyards. And there's people there that have already planted these, these various things out there and, and fruits and all this stuff. And so when you cross into the promised land, 
You are going to be able to walk in there. Your houses are already going to be made. These fruits are already going to be growing. And you're not going to have to worry about these little small things in life. The only thing that you have to worry about is serving God. Going into this promised land, the only thing that you need to worry about is serving God. And God will provide these other things here. And he will open up these doors and begin to provide the rest. I mean, it's an incredible story. It's relating to the similarity that, you know, one day we'll march into heaven. And, man, we didn't do a lot of work to build these mansions and things like that. But we'll get to go in there, inhabit those places and things like that. And our only responsibility will be to serve God. The scripture says that there will be no more tears there. That we will not hunger anymore. We will not have this flesh or, you know, people dying off around us. But, man, we'll be able to walk in there and say, man, this is a pretty good life to walk in here and serve God. You, you can see a parallel between those, those different things. But not only that, but now today in, in this place right now, God is also giving us a hint that, man, if we are willing to serve him, we can walk into some territories and begin to claim things that we did not have to build ourselves or we did not have to put our investment to. But through the power of God, we can walk into places that are of darkness and, and uh, these places that are spiritually wicked and stuff and say, this is going to be a place for the kingdom of God. And we can claim it for his kingdom in Jesus' name and his spirit will do that. But Joshua leads these people over there, and they begin to claim these cities and take these, these places. And the risk with that was that these cities, these people had built a lot of false gods and a lot of idols and a lot of things that they should not be serving. And so when they marched into this land, even though their one requirement was to just serve God, it was risky because when they were going into here, there were these other gods and these other idols and people telling them that their God was not the one true God. And they, there was the risk of marrying people and seeing people who were beautiful and saying, man, I want to marry that person versus somebody in my culture. And, and it began to cause this, this big uh, kind of almost a catastrophe where people were not wanting to serve God. And so Joshua, he goes to this, this point in the scripture in Joshua chapter 24, which is where we're at here. And Joshua speaks to these people and he gives them this list of things that God has done for them. And he tells them, man, you guys have it easy. God has done these things. It's amazing and it's incredible. And so here's what you need to do. And if we start in, in verse 14, actually, we will see what, what kind of the, the final part of Joshua's speech here. He says this, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve you the Lord. He's telling them there's these other gods, but you have got to put them away and dismiss them as false and not true. And you have to serve the one God that is true that you know is true. And he goes on and continues in verse 15 and he says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day who you will serve. He gives them this ultimatum and he says, Not tomorrow, you're not going to have another week, but today is your day to choose who you are going to serve. Are you going to continue to serve those things that your parents brought into your household? Are you going to continue to serve those things that have handcuffed you? For so long? Are you going to continue to serve these places that have taken you down deep, dark paths? Or are you going to serve the Lord God who you know is the Lord God of this universe? And he says, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He makes a mandate there. He's telling the other people that what you decide to do is not something that I'm really going to be able to change. It's your decision. 
It's going, to be your, what you, it's going to be up to you when you decide to walk out of these doors what you decide to do at that particular point. You can serve this God or this God or this God. But as for me and my house, we have made up our mind that we are serving the one true God and we are not listening to those things that are around us. We will stand in the midst of all of these enemies and say that our God is the one who can deliver and he is the God who can change. He is the God that can reach. He is the God that can move lives into amazing places in Jesus' name. Joshua is making a very strong point here and saying we have to decide right now, not tomorrow or the next day, but we have to decide right now which God we're going to serve. And I know that in today's world, this can become extremely difficult because we are fed by so much around us. There's so much feeding so many different places. If you look down the, the Facebook and that sort of stuff, you're not usually seeing a bunch of messages about how good God is, but you're seeing messages about the, the world and people and politics and all these other things, and this person's bad and this person's good and all these things, and people are getting wrapped up inside of some of those things. And not only that, but many of us, when we are inside of high school or when we are younger, we face those things that our friends and our peers begin to put inside of our lives and saying, this is the, the magical cure to having the, the best life that you possibly can. And some of us bit into those things and, and we realized quickly that it wasn't going to be the thing that satisfied us or took us through some of those places. That they were gods or idols inside of our lives that people were setting up to say, man, these are the things, this is the real deal, you got to worship this and be a part of this. And some of us, unbeknownst to ourselves, worship those things, not knowing that we were living for that next piece of that, that, that puzzle there. And we have to understand that Joshua here, the story applies so much more so than to the Israelites or these people back then. But now, today, inside of this room here, we can make that decision. And I'm thankful that because you are here, you very likely have made that decision that I want to serve God. I want to live for God. I don't want to live for those things that one time hurt me or those things that have broken relationships or those things that have, are wishy-washy on Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. I don't want to live for those things, but I want to live for Jesus, the one true God who we know is alive and well inside of this world. And so Joshua gives them this decision here. And, and it's pretty cool. If you read the rest of this chapter, you will see that the people say, man, you know what, Joshua, you've convinced us. We want to serve your God and we want to serve him with everything, every part of us. And Joshua stands back and says, no, you, you don't want to serve this God. And he basically tries to convince them not to. But then they come back and they say, man, Joshua, you convinced us enough that we want to serve this God and we will not focus on these other gods, but we're going to focus on Jesus and, and, and the God of, of, of the nation of Israel at this time. He says, man, we want to do this. And, and so as they say this, Joshua finally allows them and says, okay, so be it. If you want to serve God, then now is the time to do it, and you will serve God in your generations. And Joshua continues to lead them and, and do some incredible things, but you see in this, this, this generation here that they do truly serve God, that they don't fall back into those other gods or those idols around, and they needed Joshua as a leader to show them that truth that is there in Jesus' name. So it's incredible, and, and it's something that we all want to mandate for our households, something that we want to mandate for our lifestyles as well, that I want to serve God and I want to serve him with all of my being in Jesus' name. So when you go home, let that be your prayer. Pray it with your children. Pray it with your families in Jesus' name. Turning to another scripture here and kind of moving into the lesson today. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, I want to start here and, and kind of continue to bring this message of, of Joshua, I guess, can come forward. 
there's this word that is called continuity. And continuity is something that we should strive to achieve in the kingdom of God. Continuity is this. It's the unbroken and consistent existence or operation of something over a period of time. The unbroken and consistent existence or operation of something over a period of time. Continuity, if you begin to look at that word, is a word that we can place inside of this household or inside of the Christian realm because of it saying that, man, we need to have an existence with God and we need to be in a relationship with him so deep that over a period of time it doesn't fade away or break, but it becomes something that is solid inside of our lives, something that is so solid that nothing can begin to break it or nothing can try to pierce in and take that away from us. I want to have continuity with God. I want to know what he is thinking, where he wants my life to go, what he wants other people to see inside of this world around us. Because if we do not have continuity with God, then we're just coming up against this brick wall and we're basically hitting our head off against that brick wall. It becomes very difficult in life because things seem so frustrating. It seems like everything is just getting destroyed and torn down and wrecked around us if we don't have continuity with God. But if we have continuity with God and we're in a relationship with him, even if things are falling apart all around us, we can know that his word is true and solid and that what he has spoken to us is alive and well. That if we stick with him and we stick with him on his path, no matter what gets destroyed around us, he will still keep us. He will still hold us true. He will still forgive us. He will still allow us to come through circumstances in Jesus' name. Continuity is a powerful thing when you begin to get to the depths and the roots of continuity and, and what it is in Jesus' name. And so in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, it says this here. It says, And I say also unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against against it. I don't know about you all, and I hope that this doesn't worry some people, but there is darkness inside of this world. There are things that try to convince us that God is not real, whether spiritually or physical. There are powers out there that don't want to see you succeed in the kingdom of God. It used to just be kind of some, some billboards and, and some, some things, maybe some, some attacks from, from uh, different spiritual forces and that sort of stuff. But now it's coming down to the point where even physically people around us are saying you cannot speak out about Jesus and you cannot live for him. You cannot believe in him. And if you do, you're a fool and you should not be in the workplace and you should not be in church on Sunday and that sort of thing. People are saying those things in today's world. But if we stand upon this rock that Jesus has given us, then this scripture here is telling us that the gates of hell shall not prevail against them. They shall not prevail against you or what you believe in or the things around you, but because God is inside of you, because His Holy Ghost is living inside of you, and you are standing upon that rock, those things of hell cannot prevail against you. That's why I tell people that even though there's these forces around us out there, and some people get weirded out and scared about those things, voodoo and all that sort of stuff, I'm truly not fearful of those things. I have a respect for it because certainly it's there and I need to resist it with the name of Jesus. But because it's there, I understand that if I stand upon the rock that is Jesus, 
And if I have his spirit inside of me, no matter what curse those things try to put against me, no matter what people say about me, no matter what things come against me, they will not be able to tear me down or destroy me or destroy the Jesus that I live for in Jesus' name. They may be able to take my physical life, but they won't be able to take that spiritual depth that I have with Jesus because of what this scripture is stating here. And it shows why we must have continuity with Jesus Christ. Because if we do not have continuity with him, if we do not know who he is or what he's able to do or those things, if we aren't on the same page as Jesus, then we very likely may not be standing on that rock and we may be standing in a sand where, where that, those things can come against us. But when we get this scripture and we begin to build those truths and that foundation inside of our life, it's powerful because those forces cannot come against us anymore in Jesus' name. It, it, it can make it easier when you go inside your workplace and somebody says something to say, man, I'm standing upon the rock and I'm going to forgive this person because even though they're saying these hurtful things, they truly don't understand what Jesus is or who he is or what he can do for their lives. In Jesus' name, it begins to put a hurt inside of you to say, man, I want them to have continuity with Jesus just as much as I do in Jesus' name. I want them to see him just as much as I see him in Jesus' name. And so in order to achieve this continuity or this, this ability to say I'm standing upon the rock, there's four or five C's that I want to bring to you this morning, five different C words that I want to bring to you that I think that will help you inside of your life. Everybody in this room, no matter how advanced you are in the kingdom of God, or if it's your first day, these are five things that you can begin to do inside of your life to help you get continuity with Jesus Christ. The first, uh, the, the quickest, easiest way to build uh, not the first C, but the easiest way to build yourself upon this rock is to listen to Scripture, that we must be baptized, that we must receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, that these are essentials inside of the kingdom of God, that it's so easy. We saw it Wednesday night, and I'm thankful for two more baptisms that happened this year. And if you weren't there to hear what Pastor Carnahan said, he said we had 17 baptisms last year, which is incredible in Jesus' name. That is powerful. And this year, we have already had five in the first little bit of this, this year in Jesus' name. And we are believing that God is going to continue to do that and continue to baptize people in Jesus' name and do some incredible things through that. It's not a numbers game, but we want to see that increase. We want to see more people striving to be baptized in Jesus' name so all of those sins are washed away. So the first word here is conviction. The first C that will help you achieve continuity with God is conviction. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. And you will see in this scripture here some, some ideas about this word conviction. If we want to figure out who Jesus is, or who God is, and what he can do for us, a great place to start is reading the Bible and baptism and those things. But if we truly want to experience and know what he is thinking, then we must begin to open our ears to the conviction that can come into our lives. I've always prayed this, that God, when I am speaking, I don't want conviction to become offense inside of somebody's life. God's word goes forward from this platform and from pastor and those sort of things. And what we say from this isn't necessarily the nicest sword at certain times. Sometimes I'm sitting here and it hits me between the eyes and I'm like, my goodness, God, I never realized that. I am so sorry that I messed that up. I need to be doing this completely different inside of my life. But if I allow that conviction or that, 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 that place where God is speaking to me to become offense inside of my life, 
then that's when I begin to fold my arms and say, well, God, that sounds a little harsh, and I don't necessarily know that I should trust in that. And God, I'm gonna, I, I think I'm going to put that one to the side. Offense is a dangerous place because we begin to put things aside that need to be in the forefront in front of us in Jesus' name. If you begin to feel conviction, it's very much so because God is working on you or trying to do something inside of your life. And so in Acts chapter 2, we see that, that in, in, in Acts 1 and 2, that these, these apostles have went to this upper room, and they are praying, and they are tearing, and waiting for God's presence to come and fill them. And they're not exactly sure what's going to happen, but as they are waiting there, this fire begins to fall upon their heads, the scripture says, and they begin to speak in other tongues as God fills them with his spirit, which is just incredible in Jesus' name. That's what was happening in the prayer room just before service today. God was filling people with the Holy Ghost and letting that come forward. That was happening in the worship service here today. And when God does that, for you, you, your life will drastically change. Your eyes will begin to see things that you've never seen before, and your eyes will become open to conviction. And so these men are up there, and they're filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, but there's people around them that are saying, man, these guys are kind of goofy. They're speaking in our languages, but we don't know what's going on inside of this place here. You know, some people say that about the, the, the things of God today, but that's okay, because God is going to stand out and be different in various circumstances. So they're saying, man, this is a little different. But then there was something that started to prick their hearts and say, man, maybe what they have is something that I need. I know that it looks goofy and wild and they're raising their hands and they're dancing and they're saying hallelujah and they're praising God, speaking in these other languages and dancing and doing all these things. And it looks goofy, but maybe it's something I need. Maybe it's the one thing in my life that I haven't tried before. And God started to speak to these people so much so that Peter, who was there, gave them a sermon. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, it says this, Then after Peter had given them the sermon, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? I love that question. I love when people begin to bring questions from, from, from the scripture and things like that because it shows me that, man, they have seen inside of this and God is beginning to form something inside of their hearts saying, man, what should I do? I want to be saved and I want to go to heaven just like everybody else. So what do I need to do to get there? What do I need to do to have freedom from things inside of my life? What do I need to do to have a better marriage relationship? What do I need to do to bring my family back together? What do I need to do inside of these circumstances? These questions begin to come and they're asked to people like you and I who are apostolic and who know Jesus and who are the goofy ones dancing around inside of here. But believe me, when somebody gets desperate enough, they will begin to say, man, that goofiness, that looks like it's the very thing that I need inside of my life. It's the conviction of God beginning to move on to somebody and speak to their heart and saying, you know what, you haven't known me for much of your life and you haven't known me when you were younger, but now I'm reaching out to you as the song said on the screen, our arms wide open, that, that, that people are drawn unto God. He's standing there with his arms wide open saying, I want you to be drawn unto me. I want you to know me. I, I want you to know me just like the prophets did in the Old Testament. I want you to dwell with me. I want to speak to you and have conversations with you so that you know who I am. It's 
the conviction of God that he will begin to work upon us with in Jesus' name. And I'm so thankful that all of us, all of you that are here today, you heard that voice and you came to church this morning and you said, you know what? I could be sleeping in. I could be doing a bunch of other things. I could have stayed home in my pajamas and watched on the live stream. But no, I heard the voice of God and I wanted to get to church this morning because I wanted to hear what he wanted to say unto me in Jesus' name. That is the conviction. That is the power, the spirit of God that is drawing all sorts of people around this community in Jesus' name. And it drew you here this morning in Jesus' name. It's an incredible thing. I'm thankful that God is willing to do that for every one of us. The God of the universe, that time dwells inside of him. He's willing to say, hey, that isn't right what you're doing. You messed something up. He's willing to speak that to your face. I think we've all had those friends around us that we will ask them, hey, man, do I look nice? And you may be dressed up in something completely goofy, and they'll tell you, yeah, you look amazing. You look awesome inside of that. I think we've all had those friends, and they're not bad friends. I'm not saying that. But they're just friends that don't necessarily tell you the truth to your face. And you'll never know if you're doing something wrong because they just will never tell you that. But God, I'm thankful that he will tell us because if he didn't, we would be going down a terrible path and he'd be saying, yeah, you're looking fine, but we'd be going to destruction in the end there. The reason that there's conviction, and I know that we say, man, if we could just get rid of some of it, then maybe it would be better. But no, it's good because it's showing us that, man, we're, we're going down this path and when we start to stray, God will direct us back in there. And he's very nice. Scripture says that he's very kind about it, that he's a merciful and graceful God in the things that he does unto us in Jesus' name. And so I'm thankful for that conviction in Jesus' name. In Acts chapter 8 and 26, I'm not going to go there due to time here today, but you will see a story that conviction will teach you that God, about God's voice, and it will, teach, it will lead you how to pray for people and what to do inside of circumstances. You see a story there where, where two of the brethren were inside of a church service and they came out and there was a man there who could not walk. And they, they, they told him, man, we can pray for you. And they prayed for him and the man got up and walked and he was able to begin walking when he couldn't walk prior to that. And he was able to, to live for God after that moment in time because these two men were list, willing to listen to the conviction that God had put in their hearts that, man, we need to pray for this person here in Jesus' name. And that brings us to our second C, which is this, consecration. Consecration. So we're talking about continuity, wanting to live for God, wanting to have a relationship to Him. How do we do that? First, we listen to His conviction. When He begins to speak, we take action upon it immediately. Even no matter how, how terrible it seems or how bad it hurts, we listen to what God is convicting us with. And then we begin to come into something like this, which is consecration. Consecration is defined as a personal act of dedication. A personal act of dedication. We want to be dedicated unto the kingdom of God. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16 to look at consecration and how we want to be consecrated unto God in Jesus' name. 1 Corinthians 9 and 16. And this is Paul speaking here. And he says this, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. And, and, and if you go to the next scripture there, brother, you want to do that one too. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel 
is committed unto me. Paul is saying some pretty strong things here. First of all, what he is saying is, man, there's a desire, there's a call upon my life to preach this gospel to people around me. And it's my responsibility to preach that gospel. But if that is the only thing that I do inside of my life, it's the only thing that impacts me in my life, then woe unto me. It's nothing compared to the relationship that I need to have with Jesus Christ. That again, I know we've said this inside of the Bible studies, but we can come here and worship and we can glorify God and we can teach with passion and that sort of thing. But if we don't have a personal consecrated life unto Jesus, then everything that we do here is absolutely nothing. But let me give you an example. I could stand here and give you this, this, this message this morning. And, and even God could do it much more incredible than that. But we could do that this morning. And tomorrow morning, if you saw me out on the street on the news media just swearing at somebody or hitting somebody in the face or, or doing something like that because my life was not consecrated unto God, what I had said to you all would be absolutely nothing and would be, have no meaning behind it by any means. But, but if we're going to speak the gospel, we must have a life that is consecrated unto God. What that means is we begin to develop a daily prayer life and we say daily, I want to pray unto God. Daily, I want to read the word of God. I want to be in his presence in everything that I do in Jesus' name. And not only that, but, but even with, with the, the, the consecration for somebody who's speaking, even if we're just somebody who, who, who comes to, to church and that sort of thing and, and doesn't want to preach or speak, we still must have a consecrated life unto Jesus to know who he is, to understand his power and his presence presence and what he wants inside of our lives in Jesus' name. I wrote this. I said, early believers rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the gospel's sake. That they, they, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for, for this, this sake, for the gospel's sake. It's incredible because they were going out there and they were living the way that God had asked them to live. They were willing to dress the way that God had asked them to dress. They were willing to stop doing certain things inside of their life because they knew it was displeasing to God. And so people around them at that time were a lot harsher than people are to us today. And they were saying, man, you guys, again, you're a bunch of goofballs and fools and that sort of thing for, for believing that way and dressing that way and acting that way. I mean, why don't you be like the rest of us and participate in some of these activities? Why do you say no to us when we're going out on the Friday night and those sort of things? They began to say, man, you guys are just wild with this. But it became so extreme that they disliked them so much. They said, you know what? How about we put you in prison? for what you are doing until you decide to come hang out with us on a Friday night? How about we start whipping you and abusing you for what you believe in because, you know what, you're, you're different than us and, and you're just wild about those things. They started to, to persecute them, not only through their words, but they started physically persecuting these guys. And you know what they did? These guys walked in there and they started clapping their hands unto God and started praising him. And I bet those whips had to hurt I bet the inner courts of those prisons had to be terrible and stank like no other. I bet that that lifestyle just had to be uh, horrible in, in some of those circumstances to what we compare our lives to today. But those men were still willing to say, you know what? This consecration unto God, is, I, I, I'm, I'm excited that God counted me worthy enough to let me go through some of these things. I'm thankful that God counted me worthy enough to let me go through some of these things because of the lifestyle that I am living. 
living in Jesus' name. And so when we walk out there in this world and somebody says something to you, or when you walk out there and the news media tears people apart and says that this isn't real and that your God is false or whatever, when people begin to speak those things to you, you can think inside of your mind, you know what, God, I am so thankful that you have taught me this word. I am so thankful that I know that people need to be baptized in Jesus' name. I am so thankful that you counted me worthy to fill me with your spirit, God. And if it means getting persecuted every now and again, God, then I am willing to endure that because you have counted me worthy to be consecrated unto you. We can be so thankful for that in Jesus' name that God has counted us worthy in some of that. And so their mission was to teach the gospel to everyone. And they did so. In Luke 24, 46-49, it says this, And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father unto you. But tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued from power of on high." And this scripture is saying that God has given us that power that occurred in the book of Acts and it is now inside of us to live consecrated lives in Jesus' name. Some questions you can ask yourself. Is it beneficial to me? Can it gain power over me? Can I give glory to God through this? Will it cause someone to stumble or can it harm others? One of the biggest reasons that I don't drink alcohol is not because uh, of some crazy philosophy out there, that sort of thing, but it's because I know that there are people around me who have struggled with that addiction, and so I am willing to shut that down and push that away and shove it in the back corner and say, I will not touch that because I don't want my brother to see that and stumble and fall at that very same place. And you get these other people who stand out there and argue and say, well, can't you have a little bit as long as you're not drunk? Or can't you do the, these sort of things and that, that sort of stuff? That does not matter to me because I know that if it's going to cause my brother to stumble, then that is not a consecration unto God. It's a commitment that I have to begin to make. And even though it may be uh, some sort of a sacrifice for me now, I'm going to commit to that because I want people to see Jesus. And I don't want, to see, I want them to see Jerry Fitzner. I want them to see Jesus. And I don't want them to see my problems or my issues. I want them to see see Jesus and what he can do for their lives. And that's why we have to begin to become consecrated in order to become continuous with God in Jesus' name. It's the way that we draw closer unto him. He will honor that and respect that in your life. When you begin to say, God, I desire to walk like you walked. I desire to love people like you loved people. I desire to have forgiveness like you have for people. God will honor that. He won't just ignore you and put you in the back corner and say, man, good luck. No, he'll say, man, if you want to do that, I'll give you the power to be a part of that in Jesus' name. I'll give you the power to overcome some of these things. I'll give you the ability to consecrate your lives. I'll give you the strength to stand against those foes that are out there. Remember the first scripture that we read? The gates of hell shall not prevail against these things. So people around us, I mean, much less weak than those things there, they won't prevail against what God has set up inside of your life. Become consecrated. Let him set that up inside of your life in Jesus' name. Let him set that up so you can become close to him in Jesus' name. The third C is consistency. And I know that I'm, I'm limited on time here today, 
God has so much that he wants to say in some of these things. But the third C is consistency. This is how we draw close and understand what God wants. In Malachi 3 and 6, if you want to turn there, we'll see some consistency that begins to come. In Malachi 3 and 6, it's a powerful word that tells us that consistency is something that God has exemplified. And so thus, it's something that we need to exemplify as well. It says, For I am the Lord, and I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. The first sentence there, For I am the Lord, and I change not, is something that should be very exciting for us as Christians. That tomorrow I don't have to search out some new God in Jesus' name. That tomorrow I don't have to figure out how God changed his scripture so that I know how you know, I need to act this way or that way or that sort of thing. But the God that is God today is the same God that is tomorrow. His Bible that is today is the same Bible that is tomorrow. It is consistent throughout all of time. It's the same thing with Jesus, that he came here and he was not only consecrated, he let himself go to that, that cross but he was also consistent in the fact that he kept on that mission and he did not waver from what he was preaching to those people. And he again, over and over and over again, made that message clear that we are to repent and to be baptized in Jesus' name, to receive him and to walk with him inside of his kingdom. He made that consistency pure and true. But the, the cool thing about this is that it shows us that, man, I can pray now and I can still reach God. I can pray in the middle of the night tonight and I can still reach God because he's consistent and he won't be asleep tonight when I try to reach him in Jesus' name. You see, prayer, fasting, and personal sacrifice, it will bring us these same experiences that he gave to the early church, to these people that were before us inside of the book, uh, all these books in the New Testament. If we look at what is happening in the New Testament, we can understand and we can believe that those things are meant for us today. Scripture says that those things will begin to expound and grow and be much more numerous than they were inside of the New Testament. And so if we want to truly have continuity with God, we must begin to believe that, man, our God is a consistent God. And if he did it back then, then he is ready to do it now again. He is ready to see the church filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. He is ready to see people healed and delivered. He is ready to see freedom reign on high inside of his community. He is ready to stand against those woes that try to come against us in Jesus' name. The same things that happened back then can begin to happen now. Brother Robinette, and I'll just share this story. He was the one who was on the Bangladesh video we showed last Sunday night where 7,000 received the gift of the Holy Ghost in a little bit. It was kind of funny. At general conference, I was in the elevator with him, and I was like, I think I should recognize this guy for some reason. And I didn't recognize him, but he was the coolest, nonchalant guy. Just spoke to me as a person, as a human being. You would have never known that God uses him so powerfully or miraculous at that point in time. And at the end, he added me his card, and I looked at it, and I'm like, man, you're Brother Robinette. That's pretty wild. I, it just shows what, what God does inside of that. But Brother Robinette, he, he was speaking uh, about, about uh, these things, and, and, and he was in this church service, and they were praying for these people, and, and God was doing just this miraculous stuff all throughout there. And this couple that was driving by on the interstate called 911 and said, the church is on fire, and they hung up their phone and ran into the church and said, brother, there's a, there's a fire in the church, and we need to get people out. We saw it from the outside, and we know what's going on inside of here. And they began to look around, and there was no physical fire, but they're like, man, we saw it from the outside. Why is it not going on inside here? And so he told them, you know, this is the fire of the Holy Ghost. 
And he said, well, well, can we have a part of that? Can we, can we participate? And he said, well, it's going to take a commitment if you want to be a part of this. And, and, and he said, you know, it's going to take this commitment. They're like, we want a part of this. We want to have some part of this in Jesus' name. And so he prayed for them, and they received the gift of the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name, and the Holy Ghost just kept moving inside of that service. You see, the things, the images, the stuff that God did back then is alive, and it is well today. We just have to begin to believe and trust in it. And the way that we do that is by coming, becoming consistent, and when we make it to the prayer room before service, becoming consistent in the times that we make it to church. I understand that sometimes we have to work and go to different places, and it becomes tough and that sort of thing. But if we we can be in church we must be consistent about showing up to God inside a church because if we're consistent to him he will be consistent to us he will show us what we need to see so that we can move into new heights and into new atmospheres in Jesus name if you read Acts 2 38 through 47 you will see this it's another scripture Shadrach Meshach and Abednego same guys they were consistent unto God and said we will not eat of that food we will not bow unto your idols but we are going to live for the God that we know we need to live for in Jesus name and so the fourth C it kind of brings us into this is the C of confidence and if you flip your Bibles into Acts chapter 3 in verse 12, I want to read to you a little bit about confidence here in Jesus' name. Acts chapter 3 and verse 12 says this, And when Peter saw this, he, entered, or he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel you at this, or why look you so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? This is that story I was telling you about earlier, that they come out of there and, and they, they ask this man and, and they pray for him and he is able to walk. And these people are just baffled by it. Like, man, these guys are some powerful gods, and they're trying to worship them. And Peter's saying, you guys are, are ridiculous. You're looking at us, but it was not our power or our ability that made this happen. And so it says, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob and the God of our fathers have glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. He's bringing this around to these people, and he's saying, you know what, this power is not of us, it's of Jesus, but you all just got done crucifying him because you did not believe in that power that he had, because you believed that he was trying to make himself as God, and you said that he was not God. The reason that we can pray is because of that name there. He's making this a strong point of saying you gave up on something that you shouldn't have given up on many times ago. In verse 14, he continues to say, But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, wherefore we are witnesses. And his name, through faith, in his name hath made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Peter's making this strong point here that to live for God, that if we are going to be in his presence or consider ourselves Christians or, or God believers as these other people did, but yet they persecuted Jesus, that we are to have a confidence in him that is unwavering or unchanging, that we are to have a confidence in him that when we begin to speak and we begin to say some things, when we begin to pray, that God is very much so there willing to listen and that if it is in his will, he will begin to do it in Jesus' name, that we can come to a place like this never having received the gift of the Holy Ghost and we can prophesy that people will 
will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost because that is His Word. We can prophesy that we can come here and touch God because we know that He will begin to meet us here inside of this place. And we can have absolute confidence inside of that. And you can begin to see why we must have confidence in these small things, but also the big things. Like when I stand upon the rock of Jesus and the gates of hell come against me and try to prevail and try to attack this church and try to attack the people inside of it, that I am going to have confidence that God has said these things and he will do them as a result of his scripture stating them in Jesus' name. We can have absolute confidence in those things in Jesus' name. But if you have came here so confused and so overwhelmed by things, I'm telling you, you can believe in him today and have confidence that he is willing to dismiss that today in Jesus' name. We're talking about having continuity in these things. And I know that, that we can all work in so many of these different areas and improve and do so much better. But man, we, we got to keep these things sound at the forefront, saying I want to improve on these things here. I wrote this down. I don't know where I got it from, so it's a quote um, so don't, don't blast me as copywriting somebody. But confidence keeps us praying for the sick, even when some who are sick are not healed. Confidence keeps us praying for the lost, even when some who are lost are not saved. We are not keeping score. We are not contending, or we are contending for continuity. We are not keeping score, but we're contending for the continuity with God. That Jesus, we know that you are here, that you're the one and only God of this universe. God, that I desire to know what you want for my life and the people around me. Lord Jesus, that these things that are coming against us, we can stand in your presence because of how great you are. So the last C that we can bring to, to help us become in continuity with God is that we contend. We contend. Assert something. We contend or we assert something. God gives us the confidence in some of these things. The confidence should be in him, not in our strength or how much weight we lifted, but in the, the weights that he has given to us in Jesus' name. Contending, we assert that confidence. We assert something. If you turn with me to Jude chapter 3, this is the scripture or the, the book that is right before the book of Revelation. And Jude chapter 3 can kind of bring some of this out to us today. Jude chapter 3, or sorry, yeah, sorry, Jude, I, I messed this up. I, I believe just uh, uh, verse 17, let's go there. Verse 17, yeah, there is no Jude chapter 3. <laughs> Man, must have been thinking something else in Jesus' name. Jude chapter 17 says this, But beloved, remember you the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own godly lusts. We've seen that. These be they which, who separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit. You know how I think of these people? I, I had this described about somebody else in my life, but I think of them, we're, we're all standing on this island, and as we're standing on this island, there's a rubber raft out there, and these people are on this rubber raft stating things, not knowing that every time they're stating these things, that raft is drifting farther and farther away from the island to where they can no longer see it. And pretty soon that raft's going to go over the horizon and disappear. Begins to put your heart in the right place where you say, man, I know these people are mocking us. I know these things are doing it. I know they're distancing themselves from this, but I want people to see Jesus. I want them to know and believe in him as much so. 
But then he turns it around in verse 20 and he says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted with the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to prevent you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. You see that word inside there, contending, that we must contend, we must take steps, we must begin to assert something in this world around us to the people that are around us, that this Jesus we live for is very alive and he is very real, that people out there aren't going to stop and prevent me from posting things about Jesus Christ on my Facebook profile. They're not going to stop me and prevent me from claiming how good and how great he is in Jesus' name. It's not that I'm saying that they're terrible people. Please don't misunderstand me because we were all there at one point in time and I live in the midst of these people, but I want people to see Jesus Christ. I want to have continuity with him, but I want them to have continuity with him and understand who he is and how alive and how real he is. The apostles' doctrine is still a strong force in our day, and the Spirit of God is still being poured out upon all flesh as that scripture begins to state there in Jesus' name. We can do this. We can contend. We can have confidence. We can begin to move into the presence of God. And to conclude this today, before we begin to, to pray, if you want to turn to Matthew 16 here briefly with me, where we started. Matthew 16 and verse 16. I'll give you the full story inside of this here now. It says this, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, telling Jesus who he is. And Jesus answered and he said unto him in verse 17, Blessed art thou, Simon by Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto you that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Become a part of the church in Jesus' name. And it says, I will give you unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Jesus gave Peter a powerful, powerful verse here. That if you will be in continuity with me, that I'm paraphrasing here, but if you will be in continuity with me, then the things that you begin to pray about, the things that you begin to speak to, won't only be bound in this realm, but in so many others in Jesus' name as well. That God has given us that power in so many ways in Jesus' name. If we could stand this morning, I appreciate you being willing to, to listen to these things here a few minutes past this morning. But I think it would be fitting again, as Pastor Carnahan had us do this, that, this last Sunday, if you want to come down to this altar, let's just take a couple minutes here. And I think there's an area here that we can all begin to work on. Somewhere that we say, God, you have convicted me today, and I want continuity with you this morning in Jesus' name. We can just lift up our hands. Let's just lift our hands, and, and let's just begin to say that to him. You can speak it out to him. Nobody's recording you or asking 